welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Did you know that dancers are 12.4 times more likely to develop scoliosis? And that ballet dancers are at a higher risk of developing scoliosis than the general population. I mean, I had no idea. A few weeks ago, I received an interesting information package from my local chiropractor. The facts and figures intrigued me, so I decided to contact the clinic to see if Dr. Michael would be willing to have a chat for the podcast. As I believe this information is really useful for young ballerinas and their parents. I'd never met Dr. Michael Reese before, but I'm so glad I now have. He's passionate, enthusiastic, and makes complex information more digestible. Since our meeting, I've sent a few students his way for a checkup, and his feedback and understanding of dancers is really impressive. As a ballet teacher, you often pick up on parts of a student's body that aren't symmetrical, that may need a second opinion or some treatment. After all, we're constantly trying to attain symmetry of the body and are staring at students in leotards all day. Dr. Michael and I touch on parents feeling shame for not picking up on their child's scapular abnormality or differing leg length or curvature of the spine. Parents, you have enough on your plate. Do not feel ashamed for not picking up on a slight curve. As a ballet teacher, it's literally my job to analyze your child's body in a way that Unless you've studied ballet, you simply don't look at them like that. So don't feel ashamed. Just make sure you go get it checked out. Especially if your ballet teacher thinks something's up. Better to be safe than sorry. Now, before we get onto my chat with Dr. Michael, if you'd like his details or to get in contact with him for a checkup or if you have a burning question, um, shoot it my way. Send me a message on Instagram at Balance Ballerinas or send me an email to hello at balanceballerinas.com. Now, on to my chat with Dr. Michael. Okie dokie. Let's go. Ready? Okay. <laughs> so, hi, Dr. Michael. Hello. Thanks hello. for coming. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, first of all, I would love you to give the listeners a quick rundown on your background because your mother was a yoga teacher and your father was a pharmacist, which I find really interesting combination because I'm guessing that created a really good balance of the holistic and medical world for you. Yes, it did. It, um, it gave me a great appreciation for the uh, importance of a holistic approach mm-hmm. and the massive influence that exercise of various forms um, influences your health, not just your physical health, but your mental health as well. And uh, in the meantime, I've picked up the, uh, the importance of the gut health as well. So kind of a rounded approach. I'm quite scientific in many ways in terms yeah. of uh, a lot of my patients are taking medications and we work with those but um, and the approach as well to scoliosis because there are many different 
I suppose therapies in the world, mm-hmm. um, but only a small percentage of them have been tested with randomised controlled trials and yeah. been through um, rigorous testing. So there are many different professionals and um, exercise therapies that claim to help scoliosis, but very few that have actually been proven to work. So yeah. uh, we only use um, those that have been tested and trialled mm-hmm. um, in this office. Yeah. Cool. Because yes, because that's what we're going to get into today, um, all about scoliosis. Because you sent some hard facts to me that I was like, oh, I want to explore that further. So first of all, um, why are dancers 12.4 times more likely to develop scoliosis? Just a quick thing. Um, I think let's define a scoliosis. Yes. A scoliosis is a curvature of the spine, um, but it's only in a particular plane. So if you look at someone from the side, they're meant to have a hollow low back mm-hmm. and a rounded upper back. So that's, that's a normal curve to your spine. But when you're looking at someone from the front or from behind, their spine should be a straight line. Mm-hmm. So curvatures, uh, uh, scoliosis is defined as a curvature, a lateral curvature, a sideways curvature of the spine mm-hmm. of more than 10 degrees. So we have a way of measuring that. Okay. And it also has to have a certain amount of rotation or at least some rotation in the, in the vertebra. So the vertebra are the bones of the spine. And... Um, and then we find that scoliosis occurs in a number of different populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, why it's important with uh, ballet is because it happens more often in girls, six to one compared to boys, in an mm-hmm. adolescent level. And there's more girls doing ballet. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that but might just have generally, to do with it. <laughs> no, just generally, you six to one is the average um, incidence uh, of boys to girls. So boys yeah. only one in adolescence. So in juveniles. So in sort of eight to 10 year olds, um, it's a different um, ratio. And Mm -hmm. in infants, it's a different ratio. So you find scoliosis is detected in age groups where the kids are growing really fast. Mm -hmm. So the really small kids, they're growing really, really fast. They're doubling their size really quickly. So they can get scoliosis. Then you get the sort of plateau period and then you have a sort of a juvenile where they start to grow fast again. And then they plateau again. And then in the adolescent stage, so in girls, it's usually 11 to 13, 11 to 14 years old, mm-hmm. they start growing really quickly again. And that is the potential where they can bend. So why in, in ballet dancers, we don't actually know. There are a couple of theories. Mm-hmm. So what are the theories? <laughs> the theories <laughs> are, one of the theories are that um, they've noticed an association that there's a hormone called leptin. And leptin is a hormone that's released by largely the, the fat cells in the body. Mm-hmm. And so the more fat you have, the more leptin you have. And ghrelin is another hormone which is released by the gut, particularly the stomach, in response to hunger, or it's your hunger hormone, makes you hungry. Yeah. So ballerinas are usually quite... Um, tiny and hungry. Yes, tiny, hungry. <laughs> so they, yeah, they're hungry because they're tiny. So they, yeah. they're conscious of, of maintaining a a certain type of body because it affords um, mobility and flexibility. Mm-hmm. It also, in my experience, has been a lot of the girls are worried about being selected if they are overweight as mm-hmm. such or seem to be. Um, so there's there lots of advantages both physically in your range of motion of being thin, mm-hmm. but also in terms of uh, peer pressure and in terms of selection criteria in, in ballet, you find that the girls are really, really thin with a ballerina body. Mm-hmm. In fact, if they're too tall, they don't like it. If they're too short, they don't like it. If they're too yep. fat, they don't like it. I've never had anyone complain about being too thin. Yes. But what happens is when you're really thin, or this is the theory... To be honest, I haven't heard a ballet teacher complain, really, about a student being too, too thin, thin, sadly. But, <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, what, yeah, so what happens is, is, in this theory, is that when the girls are super thin mm-hmm. and they don't carry much body fat, there's this imbalance 
in these two hormones. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that um, the thin ballerina has too low a leptin level and too high ghrelin level mm -hmm. and they've noticed that in scoliosis patients this is a, a bigger disparity than the average population for that age group okay. so it could be a reason why they develop scoliosis we also noticed that or the th this particular research study noticed that some scoliosis are um, stable so they get a curve but they maintain let's say a 20 degree curve through the until they're skeletally mature and others will progress from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 degrees in a curve and those that do progress seem to have um, a higher level of this uh, ghrelin hormone so there can be a nutritional base to it and a body mass or body fat base to it mm -hmm. girls are much more likely to get um, scoliosis as i said before six to one mm -hmm. in this age group and so of course girls are doing ballet and boys aren't so there's a high percentage there um, People who, who exercise a whole lot um, tend to change the hormonal profile as well. So in girls, they, if they're doing intensive exercise, like a lot of the serious ballerinas are, you find that they're increasing the levels of testosterone, which interferes with their uh, menstrual cycle, so they're late, they're late uh, bloomers as such, mm -hmm. and um, that may well play a role as well. So the high-intensity exercise, the thin body mass, the sex um, association, they're all reasons why a ballerina is more likely to... Uh, develop scoliosis. Makes a lot of sense. I actually had no idea until you just explained it like that then. I, I always thought it was hereditary. There are hereditary links. Um, yeah. Certainly one of the great risk factors are if your sister or your mother has scoliosis, someone in your family. Mm -hmm. um, the growth rate, so when you're growing fast, it's, it's a risk factor. And even latitude, um, some people have put where you live in the, on, on the planet. With some diseases, there's a high incidence of the further away you go from the equator. Mm -hmm. um, so there are lots wow. of there are lots of different things that have been researched over the years, but they, we can't put our finger on any particular factor and say this is it. So with gene research, there are certain genes associated with scoliosis. For instance, when you study identical and non-identical twins, they have found that certain genes that um, a chemical process called methylation, which is adding a, a carbon methyl group to a a gene mm -hmm. and creating hormones that can change um, what's well, been noticed that in some patients with a bigger curve will won't have these genes turned on and others will and okay. other genes have also been identified for instance um, male pattern pattern baldness as they call it so men tend to get bald more often than girls mm -hmm. and uh, so you find there's an association with that gene as well so there are a number of different genes that have been identified that may play a role the diet may play a role as we, we discussed your body mass may play a role um, the type of exercise you do. There is another theory of scoliosis, which is one of the more credible ones at the moment. Mm -hmm. well, they talk about your posture. Um, in your back, you have little spinal joints that help um, maintain or bear the weight of the spine, but also direct movement within the spine. And you'll find that in patients who get scoliosis, they tend to lose um, the curve seen from the side. So when you talk about someone who has a hunchback, yeah. um, they tend to get very flat between the shoulders. And when you look at the x-rays or you measure a patient with a flat back, you'll find that the weight distribution is such that between the shoulder blades, the bones want to slide backwards. Whereas in humans, we tend to have the bones wanting to slide forward. Yeah, I'm literally like just thinking yes. it now when I'm yeah, <laughs> sitting here. So when that happens is, what happens is, 
the little facet joints, it's hard to, sh- to show your listeners, but you, you have little joints at the back. Little facet joints at the back of the spine lose contact as you lose that shape and the weight is pulling forward. And so what happens is it destabilizes the vertebral bones. So now they become loose as such and allows them to rotate or to slide, whereas previously they would have been tighter. And that is literally what happens in a scoliosis. The bone starts to slide and then rotate. And as it does this, it creates a curve. And then with time, um, it's almost like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The further it leans over, the more likely it is to fall. So the bigger the curve in a patient, the more likely it is to progress, Mm -hmm. the more urgent it is to um, start doing something about changing it. treatment, yeah. Well, uh, my next question is, before we go into treatment, do you have any exercises or habits that, that, for example, myself or students or anyone should be doing to delay or offset, you know, scoliosis happening? Is there anything we can do? Do you know what I mean? Well, there, there is no um, scientific proof that anything you can do um, will stop the onset of scoliosis. Mm. But um, being vigilant and early identification is absolutely key yeah. in, in preventing a progression. Um, you get different types of scoliosis. So we're talking primarily here about what we call adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, mm-hmm. which is adolescent is the age group. Idiopathic yeah. means we don't know what the cause is. There are causes of scoliosis from bone disease, from nerve conditions, for instance, brain tumors and so on. They're really all scary, but they're hugely rare. Mm. Um, but that does happen. So exclusively we're talking about the idiopathic type of scoliosis in this talk. And... Um, yeah, so early detection is very, very important. And then there is intervention. In the past, it was um, thought that nothing would make any difference. Yeah. And so the wait and see approach is adopted by most professions is, yes, you have a scoliosis, let's keep an eye on it. And then let's keep an eye on it. And eventually when yeah. it gets big enough, then they are referred to a surgical, uh, for a surgical opinion where yeah. the surgeon will, will um, decide whether it's worth putting or making correction within the spine. Which isn't really ideal, is it? It's not <laughs> no really. No one wants to go down the surgery path. Exactly. Well, your quality of life is hugely impacted yeah. um, through surgery because they will splint the spine on the inside. And uh, that makes big differences to, um, to your quality of life later on. Yeah. Um, some surgeries are almost life-saving if the curve is too big. Mm-hmm. But if it is preventable, it makes sense not to, to go down that route. Yeah. So the more modern approaches, um, the randomized controlled trials... Um, that have been done the last 10 or 15 years um, are really uh, pointing a a way towards how we should treat small curves in scoliosis. And uh, there is an international research foundation. There's also an international association of scoliosis practitioners. And they review the literature every two years and they get together and they they choose a... um, the most scientific approach to scoliosis. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they teach is something called CS, which is a scoliosis exercise for adolescents. Um, okay. It's quite a specific scientific type of exercise. Yeah. And so there's that type of exercise which has been shown to slow, stop, and sometimes even reverse. What does that involve? Degree. Very small little movement type exercises, which um, are trained, the patient is trained how to make a correction. And then as the dexterity of their spinal muscles improves, so it gets incorporated in more and more challenging type exercises. So you might initially start with someone just sitting on a chair and teaching them how to hold their spine Mm -hmm. and make a correction. And as they get better, you'll start getting them to move around, get up off the chair, move around and hold this through daily life. And that has been shown to be quite 
um, useful. good, useful. The physios use a technique called PSSE or mm -hmm. physio-specific scoliosis exercise. There's an older technique called Schroth. So there are very specific scoliosis type exercises. Mm -hmm. One or two chiropractic techniques has been shown to um, help to a degree. Mm -hmm. So biophysics in particular, it's a technique the chiropractors use. But generally exercise, chiro, physio, Pilates has not been shown to change the trajectory of a, a scoliosis. So once it starts yep. to bend, if it was going to bend, it's going to bend. Yeah. So you have to have very specific um, action to prevent a progression. It sounds like just judging from our conversation, which I mean, I should have known to begin with, that everything really does come back to that holistic approach of looking after yourself, eating well, moving well. And, you know, you can not necessarily completely get rid of your scoliosis, but delay its, its you know. Absolutely. You know, the diet, in my opinion, is so important. There are studies that show that that girls with scoliosis are low in vitamin D. We've yeah. talked about the grenadine and the leptin as well, and um, nutritional deficiencies in the modern world. The vitamin D thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because, like, I was when I was training full time as a as a young student, I barely saw the sun. Like, as a as a ballet dancer, you're yeah. always inside. Yes. You're always, you know, there's no sun. You're getting there at at the crack of dawn and you're leaving at night time so you're pasty white yes. <laughs> so that That's makes right. a lot of absolutely. sense absolutely yeah. and some of the vitamin d it, it gets uh, manufactured in your skin from the sun yeah but a lot of it is actually absorbed from in your diet yes and the modern diets um are inflammatory in nature high in sugar high in gluten and uh, high in a lot of inf inflammatory um chemicals which prevents the absorption of uh, vitamin d iron zinc yeah. a lot of different trace minerals as well and these are pretty important when it comes to both hormone production as well as bone production. So, um, yeah, having a, a well-balanced diet. I was reading an article in, I think it was the Ballet Journal, about yeah. nutrition, a bit yeah. about the talk you talked about. And, and they had a really good approach to seeing a nutritionist, balancing your, your diet, making sure you're eating plenty of complex carbohydrates, um, yeah. and also mixing up the, the ballet exercise from yes. just not being pure ballet but to a more endurance mm -hmm. type of exercise. The ballet world is slowly getting there. Getting there. <laughs> it's catching up. Yeah. yeah, it's getting more um, more diligent on the information that's being provided to young dancers, which is really good to see. And I'm seeing more you know, yeah. information about their nutrition, and whereas it used to be Coke and cigarettes. <laughs> a bit <laughs> before right. my time, but it was still, it was still very much uh, yeah. bad choices when – you know, yes. not necessarily me, but the people around me when, yeah. when I was growing up. Before we um, uh, even started recording, I was asking you about, as a ballet teacher, when I look at students, I, as you said, I see them in a leotard. So it's very clear if there's anatomically something going on there that needs to be looked at. And because I'm constantly trying to make them symmetrical, any ballet teacher would know it's very easy to pick up if something looks off. Yes. So sometimes, well, often, if I feel like something, because it's you know a bit beyond my scope of knowledge, but I can see that there's something that needs to be checked there, whether it's mm -hmm. a, a leg that's longer than the other, or there's a little curvature of the spine, or there's a um, shoulder blade sticking out kind of funny, I will talk to the parent and I'll say, look, I, I would really like you to you know go see a chiropractor, yep. go see a physio, whoever, you know, try and lead them in the right direction. And often what they do is um, take six months to a year to 
yes go and get it checked out and i'm like because it's not you know and yet they'll get the a cold and And they'll be at the doctor doctor. five times like it it really is so frustrating so can you please tell parents how important it is to believe your ballet teachers yes. because that's all we do all day that's right. we might not be able to say yes she has scoliosis yep. i'm not going to do that yeah but i will say there is something going on here yes. i'd like you to go check it out Absolutely. because every time they do go check it out they come back that's and they right. go you were right. right yes i'm yet to have someone come yep. back and say there was nothing wrong and it doesn't matter if they come back and they say there's nothing wrong exactly you're it's, better off there was checking nothing lost it is such absolutely vital particularly in the age group that we're talking about girls 11 to 13 years old um, I have patients who are the daughters of various professionals Mm. in the health field and they will come in and they cannot believe they are absolutely gobsmacked at the extent of the curvature of their daughter's spine um, I never realized, I didn't know. Yes. Because they don't see them in the leotard or they no. hide it because teenagers don't want to be different. They tend to hide it. When you're in leotard, you can't. And you can't delay because um, I have seen scoliosis progress hugely in three months. Yeah. You know, in a very, very short period of time, they've gone from a, uh, let's see if we can help this too, you need to see a surgeon to help you. That's how quickly it can happen. Wow. So 10, 15 degrees in three months is not that uncommon. Um, and in terms of the scales, we don't really do much for a, uh, under 10 degree because that may be a number of different factors. But once you get into 20 uh, degrees and onwards and you're accelerating at 15 degrees in three months, um, it makes a huge difference. If you can mm. keep a curve under 30 degrees, we find that if the bones have hardened and the skeleton is mature, you've made 30 degrees, you're probably not going to have any change to your quality of life. If you've progressed beyond 30 degrees, so you have this J curve of complications arising as time goes by um, for that patient. Mm-hmm. So if you've gone from 28 degrees and you've added 10 degrees in three months to 38 degrees, the prognosis is is vastly different. Yeah. And so don't delay. And the treatment more extreme. Exactly right. Yeah. More extreme, more intense, more uncomfortable, and eventually, in some cases, we have to refer for surgery, which is ultimately where we don't want to go um, mm-hmm. because it's irreversible. All the other uncomfortable therapies, the type, special type exercises, the soft or hard bracing, um, we use certain pads that the patient can lie on at times. So they're uncomfortable, but it's, it's only a small window um, where this is going to be the case. And once the skeleton is mature, you find that that is now passed and they can revert to normal life. Yeah. Um, makes I, a huge difference. You, you touched on it. I think there's a little bit of shame about, oh, how could I not have picked up on that as her mum or as That's her right. dad? Like, yes. how did I not see that? Because sometimes it's really obvious. That's right. And, and you know, there should be no shame because you're not, you're not looking at them the way that That's you correct. would look at them or the way that I would look at them because exactly I'm, right. I'm standing there going I want you to be symmetrical <laughs> and I'm trying to you know make everything perfect on either side of the body so because that's what I'm doing all day yes. and because you're also looking at as a ballet teacher or any dance teacher really because you're looking at so many different bodies it's very easy to quickly pick up something that's a bit off yes. so there should be no shame around Absolutely you know not. just just get in there See right. your see your chiro, see your specialist, see your and, physio, yeah, see and, a doctor. Yep. And the the thing is, unfortunately, is that a lot of um, professionals have been taught that there's nothing that can be done. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> That's okay. 
Oh, good. <laughs> um, and there, there is, there is a lot that can be done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if your dance teacher or your friend says um, your daughter or your son has a scoliosis, get it checked out because it's not, um, it's not going to be frowned upon if, if it's wrong. And the check is really, really quick. Um, in most cases, some complicated scoliosis will curve in two di- will curve left at the bottom and right at the top, mm-hmm. which balances them out. But interesting, um, <laughs> yeah. So the tests are really relatively straightforward. So it's literally like you do: is look at someone from behind. It's easier. See the level of their shoulders. If there's an if there's an imbalance between the height of the two shoulders, that's quite a um, a good indication there's something going on. Mm-hmm. If the one shoulder blade looks different to the other, it sticks out more or it's rotated more round, that's another good indicator. Yep. One of the best indicators is looking at the waist. And if you look at the waistline, the hourglass waist that most girls want, it should be symmetric on both sides. Yeah. When you look at someone that's flat on one side and it's kinked in on the other, that's a really, really good indication that they yep. have scoliosis. Uh, the hip level also, also helps is if their pants are, are skew or, they, or they, their tights are skew, mm-hmm. you can see that the angle of the, the leg uh, might be a bit short. That's a little bit easy to fix. Um, and then almost the pathomonic test, what that means is that sort of like the, the absolute easy one to pick up is if you were to stand behind someone and get them to put their hands together so they are symmetrical at the fingertips, mm. and to roll down forward so they're going to dive into the water, they're going to touch the floor, um, in the midline between the legs and then you you stand behind you look at their skyline view you have a look at the symmetry of their rib humps mm-hmm. and you'll find that someone who has a scoliosis very quickly the one side stands up higher than the other okay and that shows a rotation the rotation is associated with a scoliosis a quick and easy way to do it is to get your level from your iPhone mm-hmm. and you can run it up their back and if it goes off the zero you know they've got a twist no, they may so be you run it up skewed. the so so they're diving forward. Yes, and, and then what you do is you run the uh, the iPhone on the level, so you have a little level app. Yeah. And one is a compass, and one is level on the older forms. This is just a measure and a level. So you have that level, and it's it'll give you a green line when it's perfectly level. Uh-huh. And so what you do is you run that up their spine, and if it starts to rotate on the two sides, you'll, it'll give you a measurement. As they're leaning forward? So as you bend forward, yes. So as they bend forward, you'll start at the pelvis and you roll this up their spine. Ah, gotcha. And yeah. so you will be able to see whether it tilts. So we have an instrument called a scoliometer. It does exactly the same. Yeah. It just has a little ball bearing in it and it rolls backwards and forwards. I see. It has a little cutout for the bones of the spine over here. But uh, the iPhone works perfectly well unless they're really, really bony and it then rocks on the, yeah. on the bone itself. <laughs> but in third world countries, they recommend it, and I've tried it yeah. myself, is just a small water bottle and you fill it with water. Um, a Coke bottle is quite good because it has yeah. a little dent in it anyway. And, and you just slide it up the spine. And if you can see the bottle skew compared to the water level, yeah. um, there's got a rotation. And so generally... Clever. If anyone has I'm a, so using <laughs> that. <laughs> so if you have a curve more than five degrees... Um, that's really time to refer it to a specialist. Yeah. And where we're going earlier is that not everybody knows what to do with a, with a curve. Yeah. Physios, chiros, massage therapists, um, doctors, they all some uh, are more up to date and others aren't. Yeah. So um, if you don't get the answer you want, if you have a seemingly obvious and they say wait and see, then maybe get a second opinion. Yeah. Maybe the second opinion is the same, maybe it's different. 
Well, that that was a really easy test that I can do yes. really quickly on a child where I suspect something might be going on. And then if, if there is, I can be like, you off you go to see That's Dr. It. Reese. <laughs> so it is a very easy, very Coast. simple, very quick. Um, and it's it's really the, the gold standard for testing for scoliosis. Yeah. There are a few things that will change it if someone has a short leg. Literally one leg is growing faster than the other. It will change it. But then it, that's, that's easily picked up by the professional and can be addressed. But not addressing a scoliosis when it should be it can be quite dangerous. Yeah. I do have one student that I'm going to go into real details here that has one leg particularly longer than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, does that um, increase her likelihood of developing a scoliosis in any it way? It will cause a scoliosis, but it's a different type of scoliosis. So okay. we, they, we know what the reason is. So if you were to correct the, the leg length through a shoe lift, Okay. Um, a lot of people wait for the leg to catch up. Sometimes they will c- grow at different rates. So it could be longer just because they, they're growing because at different growing. rates. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the different growth rates, plates grow at different rates. Yeah. So that's not uncommon at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will end up, if their legs are even, symmetrical with no scoliosis. Um, I, don't, I haven't read anything that will tell you that it will uh, cause a scoliosis in mm-hmm. terms of an idiopathic one. Um, but yeah, with those children, we just put a, a raise in their shoe. And then as they grow, we'll take the rays down or up accordingly. So that, but that you will see through the hip level. Yeah. So if someone looks like they've got a really short leg and you want to do that, that Adams test, the forward bending test, then you just put a little book under their foot until it looks level. Okay. And then you can bend them forward. And if they've still got a twist, then they've still got a scoliosis. Um, if they don't have a twist anymore, then they've just got a short leg. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. My last question for you was actually um, in regards to adults. I have lots of adult ballerinas that I teach. Can you develop scoliosis as an adult? Absolutely, you can. Well, the, the adult group is the, the largest group with scoliosis because yeah. infants, <laughs> yes, well, they get, they get yeah. collected along the way. So you have the idiopathic scoliosis, then you have the juvenile and the, and the infantile scoliosis, mm-hmm. and then you have the degenerative scoliosis. You have the adolescent, all the younger ones can progress. So when you get to about 30 degrees, they tend to keep growing with time. Mm -hmm. So you may have got 30 degrees when you were 15, and by the time you're 60, that may be 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. So very, very slowly, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it wants to fall over. Some people will plateau for a long period of time. They may plateau for decades, and then start moving again. So others will develop a scoliosis later in life, and that can come through osteoporosis, a bone collapsing, it can come through osteoarthritis, it can come through disc injuries and, and uh, alter the shape of the intervertebral disc. Um, so yeah, we have a huge number of adults with scoliosis yeah. and they all do respond well to uh, quality exercise. Yeah. And then if that is not um, sufficient, then we will do the same type of exercise we do with the adolescents, is the PSSE physiotype exercise or the, the CS. Um, and then, of course, weight management and all the other parts, the nutritional side of it. So an adult's a lot easier. They're easy to motivate and they're easier to direct and they, they're easier to control. Teenage girls are incredibly difficult. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> you <quite> reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. not even a mum yet and I know that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so motivation's a huge thing. They don't want to be different to their friends. Yeah, and definitely. So exercise we do at the beginning of the curve. And that's the best time to pick it up because they can do that at home. Mm-hmm. And ballerinas, I find, are very, very well disciplined. And yes. they'll get up at four in the morning and do the exercise and they'll do their scoliosis exercises. The hard part comes when it comes to wearing some of them have to wear a brace. Yes. And then that gets hard because they don't want to take it, their friends to know because it'll prejudice them at the competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uncomfortable. 
And um, yeah, they want to be seen as different. So the non-ballerinas don't want to be seen as different at school and they want to wear it. So it gets really hard motivating young teenagers um, in that category. Ballerinas are actually quite easy in terms of exercise. Yeah. Laser kids, not so much. Yeah. Well, my take home from, from this conversation, which I didn't know would be my take home, but I should have really seen it coming, was that it's not necessarily that they're doing ballet that's causing scoliosis. It's some bad habits that are formed sometimes during ballet that can that's lead correct, to yeah. the scoliosis. That's right. So, so an astute teacher um you know you pick it up early you're doing the the patient so much of a good service Mm. and um some of the theories as i say that that the posture one if you were to watch postures and flat backs um and pick it up even earlier Mm. there's um it's going to be a huge service and there's no research to show that if you stop ballet it's going to um, stop your scoliosis yeah We we just see that association of high numbers in ballet students but there's no there's no indication that if they were then to stop ballet they would stop the scoliosis it will yeah. continue so i'm always promoting patients to keep busy and fit yeah definitely and eat well and yeah and you're pretty good yeah <laughs> is there it. anything else you wanted to add <laughs> before we finish up not really just thanks no. for coming out and doing the interview it's been a delight to meet you no thank and you for giving up your busy time no to uh, have a chat to the listeners who will obviously Um, I have quite a lot of people that will benefit a lot from this conversation because it's one of those things that sometimes, you know, something like scoliosis isn't the most sexy thing to talk about or exciting, you know, and so, but it's important, especially as a dancer, you know, with your body being your instrument, um, especially dealing with the little ones coming through. um, It's really important to detect it and um, And get onto it straight away. That's right. The sooner you know it's there, the sooner you can do something about it. Yeah. And the less it's going to impact your life. So thanks for coming down. That's okay. Can you tell everyone um, where your clinic is based? My clinic is on the Gold Coast in Runaway Bay. Uh, wedged between an Indian restaurant and a <laughs> Thai restaurant. It's so, a great clinic. It's very we nice. Have, um, yeah, we provide uh, a myotherapy and CS training as well. So I we got have, lots of myotherapy yeah. when I was down at Aussie yeah. Ballet. Yeah, I haven't heard that word actually in a very long time. <laughs> well, Bianca does a real good job because yeah. she has a scoliosis of her own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she understands the dynamics and the mechanisms and the impact on the diaphragm and the asymmetrical loading on the spine. So mm-hmm. she's really, really good at... Um, at working with our scoliosis patients. Yeah. And then we have Dr. Janine who has done a pediatric masters in chiropractic and she does all the the specific scoliosis exercising. Mm-hmm. And I do all the prescribing of braces and the identifying and diagnosis. So we got a nice team going here. <laughs> you have a great team by the sounds but well Thank I'll you. certainly be sending my kids this way. Thank you very much. And, and they'll say, Miss Georgia did the check on me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it's such a simple, easy check. Oh it's so the easy. Bending forward test, yeah. yes. So uh, you can teach that to the students, in fact, and they can go home and teach it to their parents. Yeah, then I'll be in trouble because (laughs) the parent will find out they got like a scoliosis they didn't know about. And then they'll be like, like, bloody Miss Georgia, like creating more problems for me. Anyway, thank you so much. much. Thank you. Can you believe I forgot to ask Dr. Michael his top tip for leading a balanced life? How slack of me. Well, to make up for it, I thought I'd give you one of my top tips today. And that is drink lemon water upon rising. So meaning having a glass simply um, of water with some lemon in it as soon as you wake up. This was discussed during episode 11 with Dr. Andrea Robertson and is a habit I participate in daily. So why lemon water? Well, it's said to detox the body, 
prevent bad breath, um, improves digestion, fights infection, boosts your immune system and contributes towards clear glowing skin. So what have you got to lose? Give it a go. Have a fantastic week, ballerinas, and as always, it would mean the world to me if you found this episode useful to rate and subscribe to the podcast. It keeps the Balanced Ballerinas podcast going. Thank you.